As we uh, open God's Word together this morning in Luke 15, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank You for the cross. And Lord, we do ask that You would help us to gaze in Your direction this morning. That our attention would be centered on Christ and what He has done for us through His life, death, and resurrection. Lord, that You would help us to see how that grace is applied to our life through faith and how You desire for us to continually be changed by that powerful, redemptive act. Lord, speak to us now in Your Word. Give us a better glimpse of Your heart and what You're all about and who You are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll turn with me to Luke 15, it's on page 905 in your pew Bible. If you don't have one with you this morning, you're welcome to use that one. This morning we're starting a series on the parables of Jesus. And all throughout the Gospels, those first four books of the New Testament, Jesus tells many parables. But what's interesting is that He usually tells these parables in the midst of great tension. And if you look with me at Luke 15 verses 1 and 2, you'll see that type of tension I'm talking about. And this happens over and over and over again throughout the Gospels. Luke writes, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Him, to hear Him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This is the tension. Jesus, wherever He goes, He tends to draw two groups of people. And the first group, Luke describes them as tax collectors and sinners. And so this group of people is basically a group of people that they're living their life as if God does not exist. In other words, they are masters of their fate, captains of their soul. You know, they're doing their own thing. Uh, truth is relative. And, so, and, they're, and they're okay with that. And they're okay with you knowing that. In other words, these are people... Uh, they are not attending worship services you know, in the temple. Uh, you know, they're doing their own thing, and you know that. And they know that, and they don't have a problem with you knowing that. Tax collectors, sinners. And yet, at the same time, these people are drawn to Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, you find these you know, tax collectors and sinners. They're drawn to Him and who He is, what He teaches. And so this group is present. And then there's this other group, the Pharisees and the scribes. And simply put, these are some of the religious leaders of the day. Uh, These are your avid churchgoers. They're at all the worship services. Uh, These are your conservative, moral, religious people. And on the outside, they look like they have it all together. And they're gathered as well near Jesus. And now, one thing about these two groups of people is they rarely interact with each other, if at all possible. You know, the the Pharisees and the scribes, they don't want to hang out with the tax collectors and sinners. And the tax collectors and sinners really don't want to hang out with them either. Now, every now and then they'll have to interact with maybe a, you know, a business deal or two. But they're not eating at one another's houses. You know, they're not spending quality time with each other. You know, they're not going fishing together. These are two groups of people that typically stay apart and yet... Every time you see Jesus almost in the, in the Gospels, these two groups of people are there. They're both drawn to Christ, now for different reasons. One group is there out of curiosity, and the other group is there to critique. And I'll let you figure out you know, which is which. 
And it's in the midst of this tension that Jesus tells three parables. Two of which we're going to talk about this morning. And then the third one we'll talk about next Sunday. The first parable that he shares with them is referred to as the parable of the lost sheep. And so beginning in verse 3 we read, So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he gathers together all his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So Jesus tells this story, and he uses a vocation that's very familiar in first century Jerusalem in the surrounding area, that of a shepherd. Shepherd with sheep. And so people were familiar with shepherds, they were familiar with sheep, and they were familiar with the idea of a sheep wandering off and getting lost. Now, you may think of it this way, since none of us have any sheep in here. Well, maybe you do, maybe hidden in your backyard somewhere, or something like that, but probably not. But many of you have a special pet, or you've had one in your past. A dog, a cat, a pet that you loved. Now just imagine if you lost your pet, and maybe some of you have had this experience. When you, your pet has wandered off, someone left the door open, or got off the leash, or something happened and the pet went missing. And you know that feeling that you experience when you cannot find your pet. And you know what you do. What do you do? You don't just go sit on the couch and say, well, you know, the pet, maybe, maybe the, the pet will come back, the dog or cat will come back. Now, some of you may, because you didn't like the pet to begin with. But one of the, somebody in your family is not sitting on the couch waiting on the pet to return. Somebody's going to look for that dog, look for the cat. And you search for it because you want to find it. Right? And you probably get others to join you to find it, and there's a sense of uneasiness in you until you find it, right? And this is probably what the shepherd was feeling to some degree. You know, he has a hundred sheep, one has been lost, and he knows it, and so there's this uneasiness, and so he goes and he finds it. Now, unlike the dog and the cat, now when a dog's lost or a cat's lost, they just kind of are wandering around, you know, who knows where they're going, but there seems like they're always on the move. Not so much with sheep. When a sheep wanders off and figures out it's lost, then it gets confused, and that confusion turns into almost like paralysis. The sheep sits down, lays down, and the sheep's not going to go anywhere until the shepherd comes and gets it. So the sheep, once he figures out he's lost, he just plops down, and he's just going to wait there until somebody comes and finds him. And that's why Jesus tells the story that the sheep wanders off, he's lost, and then what has to happen? Well, the shepherd has to go out and he has to find the sheep. And this is exactly what the shepherd does. He leaves the 99, he goes after the one, and when he finds it, he brings it back to the community and everybody's excited that this shepherd was able to find this sheep. Just like if you ever lost that pet, maybe a day went by, two days, three days, and then the, you were able to you're walking down the street one day and you find him. You know, think about the excitement that you would experience. And you probably would share that. Hey, I 
found my dog. I found my cat. You tell your parents. You tell your friends. Everybody would know and everybody would be happy about that. We'd be excited about it. I mean, these are the kind of things that people make videos of and you watch over and over on YouTube. You know, you watch these videos of these reunions when the, you know, the dog greets the person coming home or something like that. These reunions and you post it on your Facebook page and you know, a million people watch it. I mean, we love to see these reunions take place. There's a celebration that happens. And that's what we see here in the parable. And then at the end of the parable, Jesus brings home the truth that if there's such great celebration when a shepherd finds a lost sheep, imagine the celebration and the joy that's experienced in heaven when a person turns from building their life apart from God to turning to God and entering into a relationship with God through faith in Christ. When that shift happens, imagine the joy that is in heaven. And then he goes immediately to the second parable, which is the parable of the lost coin. In verse 8 we read, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and diligently seek it until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together all her friends and neighbors and saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now the woman in Jesus' parable lived in a typical house, first century Israel. And that is... It's a, probably a small house with very few windows. You know, they were not a big fan of a lot of natural light. You know? So they had maybe one window in the whole place. And so she drops one of her coins. And this coin is not coins you would use in the marketplace to buy some bread or something like that. But this was most likely part of her dowry. Part of an ornamental headdress that she would wear. Uh, the, the thing that it may correlate with best today is your engagement ring, ladies. So can you imagine losing, you know, losing your engagement ring or losing your wedding ring? You know, what would you do? Oh, well, you know, no big deal. It's just a ring. <laughs> yeah. You would turn the place upside down. You'd call everybody. You know, where, you'd retrace your steps. You, where's my ring? You'd gather people to help you, right? You'd want to find it. And so her coin drops onto this floor of her home. It's dark. It's dirty. And so Jesus says she lights a lamp because it's dark. She has to see. She's just trying to see the glimmer of the coin. And then it says she takes out her broom. She's going to transform this house into an archaeological dig. You ever seen one of these archaeological digs? on TV where they're all, you know, they're down in the dirt and they're just kind of sweeping dirt away slowly. You can see her just sweeping the dirt, sweeping the dirt away in her home, hoping just to catch a glimmer of that shiny metal. So tirelessly she searches and finally she sees the edge of the coin. She picks it up, she calls all her friends and neighbors and everybody is rejoicing because she found this special, valuable coin. Just like when you found your engagement ring, or your wedding ring, or some, something that meant a lot to you. You found it, what did you do? You probably didn't say, oh great, I found it. No, you said, well you said that too. But you also said, 
I'm going to call my friends. I'm going to call my fiance. I found it. You know, you don't have to buy me another one. And he says, I wasn't going to buy you another one. <clears throat> you know, there's, there's this joy and you share the joy. And that's what we see here in this parable of the lost coin. And so when you get to the end, Jesus again turns it. And he, sh- he tells the people. If a community is so excited about a woman finding her coin, how much more excitement is there in heaven when something much more valuable than a coin, a person, walks into the path that he or she was created to walk into, and that is a relationship with God? When someone is lost and then becomes found, how much joy is there in heaven? Now, when you take these two parables together, there are, there are three truths that I think Jesus is communicating that stand out for us to learn. And the first one is this. Just like the shepherd and the woman search diligently to find their lost possessions, God searches diligently to find those who are lost. This is what God does. This is who He is. God is a missionary God. He's always on the prowl, seeking to give people an opportunity to come to know Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And remember, the whole context of this, this parable, is birthed out of the complaint that Jesus is spending too much time with people who do not attend worship services. And who are walking through life without God. And Jesus says, well, guess what? That's what God is all about that. God is all about taking the initiative and going after the lost sheep. Those who are not connected with Him. Those who are not walking with Him. That's what God does. And therefore, that's what Christ does. Because Christ is God. God in the flesh. That's what He does. He came to seek and save the lost. And yet you can hear the Pharisees say, as, as they're watching Jesus walk through life and do His ministry, you can hear the Pharisees saying, why does He spend so much time with people who will not come to our worship services? Why does He spend so much resources on going after people that they're not attending? They're not coming to the temple. Why does he do that? Why does he spend so much time receiving and eating with sinners? And we know Jesus came, the reason he came, is to seek and save those who are lost. See, God is a missionary God. God is always on the move, always taking the initiative to reach out to people and give them opportunities to turn from their sin and to turn to him. And so the question is, as His people, are we on that mission? Yes or no? Are we on that mission? Are we on the same mission God is all about? And that is reaching out to people that don't know Christ. That are not connected with Him. Are we on that mission? Because He's on that mission. We see it in the parable. He's on that. That's what He does. So are we on that same mission? You know, does it, does it bother you that we do not see more people 
come to Christ? Does it bother you that we don't see more people turn from building their life on everything else around us except for Christ? Does it bother us that we do not see many people turn from that and turn to building their life on God through faith in Christ? Does that bother you? Now, I'm not discounting those people who have come to Christ. Now, I think if you've been in our gatherings when we celebrate that, I mean, you would say that we, we love to see that happen. And we have seen that happen. But does it bother you that we don't see that happen more? It bothers me. I mean, it bothers me a great deal. Because I think to myself, if, God, if this is who God is, if God is a missionary God, if God is constantly seeking to reach the lost, that they may be found, and we are His people, and we are to be involved in that, and yet if we're not seeing that happen often, it at least causes me to pause and say, well, let me at least ask some questions. Let me, let me try to evaluate myself and ask questions such as these. Am I praying for those who don't know Christ? Am I praying that the lost will be found? You know, are you praying? Are you praying that the lost will be found? Are we actively seeking to reach out to those who do not know Christ? Is that, is that a driving force in your life? Do you know any non-Christians? People that don't know Jesus? Do you receive and eat with sinners <laughs> like they accuse Jesus of doing? I mean, do you know people that don't know Christ? Do you spend time with people? That's okay. You can do that. You should do that. Jesus did that. And if we're going to seek and help people come to know Christ, guess what? We need to be in the city meeting people getting to know people, caring, loving people, and sharing Christ with people that don't know Christ. So the first thing we see here is that God is a missionary God. He is active. He is searching diligently to find His lost possessions, and that is the people He's created. And I think, what, what is it that just drew people to Jesus? Because surely you wouldn't accuse Jesus of just, you know, Telling them what they want to hear. Probably not. But I think what you see in his message is that he not only told you what God is against, but he told you what God is for. See, God is for forgiveness, God is for grace, God is for reconciliation, God is for second chances. God is for repentance and change. God is for life. God is for love. And I think people saw that and they were drawn to that. And so I have to ask myself the question, I think we need to ask ourselves the question is, what message are we sending to our city? Are we just sending a message of what we are against? Or are we sending a message of what God is for? 
And I can't help but think if we present Jesus' message the way He presented it, then perhaps we would celebrate more lost people being found. And so this first truth, God is active, He's seeking, He's searching. And then the second truth we see here is just like when the sheep and the coin were found, there was great celebration. Why? Because something they valued was returned to them. And what is more valuable in all creation than people created in God's image? And so when they return to God in Christ, there is celebration in heaven and there should be celebration on earth among God's people. And that just makes us think, you know, do, do we value the lost being found? If we do, it drive, that will drive our activity and that will drive our celebration. You know, we will be a people that loves to see people come to Christ. The third truth we see in these parables <clears throat> is that just because you have the 99 or you have the 9, it is no excuse not to go after the 1. You know, you've heard it said that you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Right? bird in the hand... Because we're two in the bush. That can never be the motto of the church. <laughs> it doesn't matter if we have the 99. We always must go after the one. We must never become complacent. Even if this room was filled and people were sitting in the hallway, we still could not become complacent. Because God is not complacent. God is always on the move. And until Christ comes back, His people are to be seeking and, and seeking to help save the lost. Well, so whether you have 99 or 9, no excuse not for not going after the one. We need to gather. We know that's biblical and that's helpful and, and edifying to the believers. We need to gather, but we also need to scatter. We need to move out of the building, get out in the city, and help seek and save those who are lost. And that's one of the main reasons why we do the 40 days of ministry. Right? This is why we have this initiative. The whole heart behind it is to move us into the city to represent Christ in word and deed. That's the whole idea. It's all in line with God's missionary heart. Let us go to the people and represent Christ to the people. In little ways and in big ways. But let us do it. And so I encourage you, I encourage you to think about how can I even be involved in this 40 days of ministry? And I want to encourage you to at least be involved in one day. You could pray. You could help out with Vacation Bible School. We're going to go down to the master's table and serve the homeless. We're going to maybe go pay for someone's laundry. We're going to go around the neighborhood, meet our neighbors, invite them to vacation Bible school or the church. And there's so many things we're going to do. And I think everybody in here can at least be a part of that at least one day. And so I want to encourage you to be involved in God's mission. God is on a divine search. He's seeking to save those who are lost. And He wants His people 
to be on board with that same mission. So I want us to continually think about how can we reach out to our city, to those who don't know Christ, and then let us celebrate when people turn to Him. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful for these parables and how they teach us many things about You. That You take the initiative. That the only reason that we are here worshiping You is because You took the initiative with us. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You sought us before we sought You. And Lord, let us be Your people that will seek others before they seek us and seek You. Let us be on mission like You were on mission. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know You, God, that they would sense Your seeking them. And they would run to You. They would turn to You. They would hear Your voice and place their faith in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.